Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the clasp on America's Bible bra. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org, or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR, 1680 AM, Ada, Grand Rapids. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio are my fellow Doubtcasters, Jeremy Bean. Yellow. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen. Good morning. All right. Uh, well, we uh, have a new president. Woohoo! And uh, we are off into the first few weeks of our Obamination. I'm liking it so far. Did you guys get to watch the inaugural? I didn't get to watch it. I got to listen to it on the radio. And I think because of that, my experience was a lot different than than other people who, who were watching it. Well, I was in a crowded theater that was near the Democratic headquarters in Grand Rapids. So a lot of Obama supporters there. Sure. And when he said that uh, we need to restore science to its rightful place. Oh, yeah. I went, woohoo, like that. I was like the only person in the theater that did that. Well, that's <laughs> like, kind of tragic, but... <laughs> So the one-man science lobby here yeah. in Grand, Grand Rapids. I was watching with a bunch of professors at the university clustered around our computer monitor, and when he said that, we were like, what's his citation for that? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't cite any references. I'm skeptical. You expect us to believe you're an actor. And then once he was sworn in, uh, uh, a bunch of gays in, in sequin bikinis paraded out down the street, <laughs> and fetuses were everywhere, and it was yeah, it, it really off to a good start. anarchy, yeah. Uh, well, and I missed all of that because the 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 spandex speedos don't uh, show up on the radio. Yeah. I I thought, and this goes back to kind of the uh, what the Nixon Kennedy debate uh, idea, where the people who saw it on TV thought Kennedy won because he looked so good, um, and the people listening on the radio were were a little bit more mixed. I was it's because I'm sweating, isn't it? Beats of sweat in my mouth. Go talk to David Frost. Um, so, but I thought that. It was a good speech by Obama, but it it didn't ignite me the way I expected an Obama speech to do. I enjoyed his victory speech on election night. I think I was way more moved yes. by that. I, I thought the election night speech was was much better than than this one. And this was, you know, he had he had an agenda to set in the speech. But he addressed us non-believers as well. Always hacks it on at the end. You know, it's the Christians, Muslims, Jews, and the rest. Hey, you know what though. That's better than it not getting tagged. I on. would rather be the professor in Marianne than uh, not be mentioned at all. I was yep. I was reminded of the Simpsons where when uh, Homer's saved from his burning house by the yes. multi you know racial coalition of volunteer firefighters and mm-hmm. Reverend Lovejoy says whether it be Christian or Jew or miscellaneous, I'm Hindu. There are nine hundred million of us, you know. Hey, that's super. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but it was it was definitely nice to uh, to get a little shout out from Obama. What really disappointed me um, and had me yelling at the radio though was before Obama got his chance to speak was our good buddy Rick Warren up there. Yeah, yeah. I mean Rick Warren. I think his I think his address wasn't bad. It was sure as hell a lot better than that god-awful poem that they did. No, did he Did he speak outside of the prayer? Was there anything else he did? Because I, I turned on the radio right as he was uh, beginning his prayer. Was there anything no, before it, that? No, it was pretty much just the just the prayer. But the prayer was a speech, I mean, yeah, but, in its own, own way. And I had been led to believe, and I think a lot of us were, that this was going to be a much more universal-type prayer. But he specifically invoked the name of Jesus. They had a Jesus count, Not by the way, Jesus, unfriendly atheists. They had a Jesus word count of the various people. Did they really? Yeah. So, that, so they did Warren's and then the other prayers by the right. civil rights dude and then the other. Mm-hmm. What's her name? And then they so they did a little God, Jesus, Christ reference. Thing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus was scoring some points. Ding, ding, ding. Which I, you know, I understand. Uh, Rick Warren is a Christian 
President Obama is a Christian himself. He can have whoever he wants. He uh, can. But it, it is surprising to me, though, Obama's speech, which really emphasized this time where we all need to be responsible. Yes. Um, it, it's great timing because The Nation magazine actually mm. put out an article about Rick Warren dodging his taxes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A, a preacher <laughs> avoiding taxes? Yeah. I this know. has never happened before. I know. Well, the article from The Nation magazine, Rick Warren's Clout by John Weiner. It, it might be Weiner. I'm not sure. I'm giving him the benefit if of the doubt. If it's I before E, then it's Weiner. If it's E before I, then it's Weiner. Oh. All right. It's Weiner, Weiner it then. Is. John Weiner for The Nation magazine writes about how Rick Warren was able to use his clout to get Congress to come behind him and actually pass laws to help him with his own avoidance of paying income tax. Um, that it, takes some serious clout. Yes. The article says in 1993, Warren deducted $77,663, his entire Saddleback Church salary that year, as a housing expense and paid no taxes at all on that salary. On his salary? Yes. Wow. In addition, he claimed deductions for his mortgage expenses, even though they had been covered by the salary. Which was already deducted. Yes. He wow. made similar claims in subsequent tax returns. Now, what's more important than just trying to get one burnout on Rick Warren mm -hmm. after this um, is to explain what actually happened next. The IRS has a rule. There, there has been a housing deduction that is made available for clergy. The IRS's rule is just that it must be it must be reasonable. There's there's a cap on these compensations. Sure. The IRS's definition of reasonable is that it shouldn't exceed the fair market value for the rental of the home. For the housing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the IRS ended up taking Warren to court claiming that he he owed taxes. He owed about uh, $55,000 worth of taxes. And when it was going to court, Warren, Warren won against the IRS, but the IRS appealed, which mm -hmm. was going to land the case in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, which is the infamously liberal right, right. circuit that um, uh, I think they were the ones who took God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, so they're pretty good. They have a pretty good track record on right. church-state issues. Not, not the group that uh, Rick Warren wants to be sitting in front of. Right. So the Ninth Circuit panel appointed Erwin Chemerinsky as friend of the court. And he was preparing to argue to show that this that this parsonage exemption, the fact that we allow uh, tax deductions at all, was unconstitutional. Part of his arguing for it was going to say that uh, the housing tax exemption applied only to ministers of the gospel. Mm. The article says not to leaders of secular nonprofits engaged in humanitarian work. And he also noted uh, that the rule was established in 1954 at the height of the Cold War when we were doing all these things to fight against godless communism. Right, right, when we put the and other things. Um, under God into the Pledge of Allegiance and, and all of that sort right. of thing. Right, yeah. which, you know, looking at this, this, this makes me kind of angry. You know, my, my, uh, my wife uh, works for a nonprofit, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, for CFI, and uh, um, we don't— we don't get any sort of tax exemption on, on our housing yeah. or anything like that, uh, even though we're doing charitable work. And certainly both of our salaries, I mean, we're not coming anywhere close to $77,000 And actually, I'm surprised that, that Rick Warren's salary is, is so low. Now, granted, that was— I, I am surprised that's compared 15 to years some of these ago, other megachurch pastors. That was yeah. before he, he had really— Take right. it off. So I'm sure now it's it's much much more than that. The church used to be named Saddle Kickback, but they just changed it to Saddle Back. <laughs> right, so right. Subtler that way. That's that's good. <clears throat> well, realizing where this was going to uh, head, that the court could actually go as far as striking down uh, a lot of these financial concessions mm -hmm. that we make to ministers of the gospel as being in violation of the establishment right. clause. Congress got together uh, and acted, quote, with almost miraculous speed, as Richard Hamar, editor of Church Law and Tax Report newsletter, explained to the New York Times. Mm -hmm. 
The article says the new law granted Warren his deductions, along with any other clergy who had done the same, although Warren was the only one to end up in court. And Congress also put into law from that time forward the IRS's fair rental value rule. So they made the IRS rule stand for all future cases. Right. They made the case that was heading to the court moot by passing this law, right. uh, all to avoid the legal ramifications. Oh, and, and fair rental value rule seems like a bit of a misnomer because if his, his entire salary um, can be deducted for, uh, for his rental value – Mm-hmm. then he probably shouldn't be living there, would be my guess. If my entire salary was going to my uh, rent on the house, then I'd be screwed because <laughs> I need food and electricity right. and that sort of thing. Clearly, he was using his own political muscle and tying this into a church-state issue mm-hmm. to get around his own not wanting to do the responsible thing and pay his pay taxes, taxes as an American citizen. You know, but as, Out uh, of fairness to Rick Warren, though, it does say in the scripture, render unto Caesar under line 1A of the tax code <laughs> only if uh, and not limited to subparagraph 6C. Yeah, You've got a good point. Yes. Apparently, when you when you have clout with politicians, this is what you can get away with. And uh, and President Obama, although I'm very happy with some of the things he's done in his first few days of office, yeah. um, uh, nevertheless, uh, does still seem to be pandering to these people. What are some of the things that others are not happy with what President Obama has done in his first days in the office? Well, Jeremy? good point, because what could even possibly if, be the problem. Yeah, I mean, he's you know, everyone loves him, right? He's the the second Messiah, right? Everything the one. is going great. He's, he's the one. Him and I thought Neil the was the one, but not Neil. No, well, no, right, no. because if if Obama's pick of Warren to start off the inauguration ceremony was to try to appeal people, evangelical voters, mm-hmm. it didn't really work. <laughs> really? Because, well, for example, here's a wonderful Christian Newswire headline. Obama's assault on human life expected to begin today. Wow, really? <laughs> that's that's almost up there with like you know Israel's assault on Gaza day one, and Obama's assault on fetuses day one. Uh, on human life, that that's a pr- pretty broad brush they're they're painting with here. Uh, yeah, that's what I was uh, I was wondering. What did he uh, start another war? Look, uh, yeah. look, uh, there's too much life in our country. And we need to start, uh, well, eliminating it. Uh. But but just human life, mind you. Uh, animal, uh, vegetable, that's fine. That's we'll we'll get this. to kittens later. Let's start with babies. Well, they are, of course, talking about Obama's reversal of the so-called Mexico City policy. If you're on the pro-abortion side, this has often been referred to as the gag order. This was implemented during the Reagan administration. It was Reagan's policy that the U.S. government couldn't give funding to any sort of services uh, overseas that dealt with family planning, clinics, that sort of thing, any of them that that had any sort of abortion-related services. Mm -hmm. We could not give funding to those entities. Even, that is, even if the funding for the abortion-related services came from non-government sources. Right. So he went and uh, reversed that. Why, Why didn't Bill Clinton do that? Bill Clinton did do that. He did. Bill Clinton reversed that during his presidency, and as soon as George a, Bush was elected to so office, so this is he just promptly, a volley back yeah. and forth. It's a they ping typi- pong game. Yeah. yeah, they typically do this on January twenty second to commemorate Roe v. Wade, and right. so whatever administration is in power, they either is yeah switching it back to to whatever they. They prefer. Yeah, so yeah, okay. o- Obama didn't choose that date, so I guess he's doing okay. it on the down low or something, but right. uh, uh, was, was the idea not like this is going to remain quiet. I've always wondered about the, the rationale here that uh, religious right people say, well, the reason that you have to have that even for uh, organizations that you know fund their, if they have abortion, it's through a different arm. As they say, they could just transfer money for that. Have, uh, you know, so like if they get money from the government for some things, they can then free up other f- money that they would have used for that, and then funnel it towards abortions. Isn't that right. the same rationale though that religious people give when they get government funding for they for like discriminatory hiring things like that? They can mm-hmm. say, well, we do have proselytization and things like that, but it's our money. The money we get from the government goes to just charity and things like that. Right. But We're isn't that the same? 
that program. Isn't that the same rationale, though? They could just the money that they would have uh, used for their charities and things has been freed up by the government, so they can then use that money to go into proselytization. So it's the same rationale. Right. Yeah. Good point. Some are saying that this is Barack Obama going back on a promise. Father Frank Pavone, national director of Priests for Life. Does issued... that mean they're they're not going to give up the uh, the cloth? <laughs> We're priests for life. At, at my college, there was a group, Students for Life, and I thought I've been in the college for eight years. I, I deserve. If you're not a member, you're for death. So I guess I'm a default. I'm a priest for death. Member. A priest for death. <laughs> a priest nice. for death. Um, He issued a statement saying that when President Obama takes money out of the taxpayers' pockets to abort children, he can no longer claim with any legitimacy that he wants to reduce the number of abortions performed here or abroad. Forcing Americans to pay for killing of innocents will not bring us together. There can be no common ground when the ground is soaked with innocent blood. Well, that's pretty wow, graphic. Such great imagery, though. I, lo- I I have this picture of, of Obama reaching into my pocket, pulling out money, and purchasing abortions with it directly. I, I just think that's... And then, you know, the innocent blood on the ground from which uh, rotten fruit springs. And all those poor women that say, well, you know, I was going to – I couldn't afford an abortion before and I was just going to, you know – have the kid, but since they're giving money away well, for yeah. it, I think I'll abort my kid. Obama's standing yeah. there sh- handing out bills. Why not? Yeah. Uh, whatever. Let's get knocked up so we can get a free abortion. Yeah, my God. Now, if you look at some of the guess, – guess what, though? Some of the countries that do have government-funded female uh, health services and family planning, guess what their abortion rates are compared to the United States? That's Does anybody exactly want to guess? my point. Does anybody yeah. want to guess where the United States stands they, in regards to, to abortion? They've got much higher, right? Tell us, Luke. Well, on, on a list of industrialized countries, I think that the only one that approaches our rate – I have it right in front of me. The only one that approaches our rate of – this is one of teen abortions – is Hungary. So get proud, get loud. Hungary? We're up there with Hungary. Every other industrialized nation has a lower rate of abortion than we do, and some of them by orders of magnitude. Like, you know, uh, the, the lowest abortions are in, let's see here, Finland, Belgium, Germany, Italy. Now, does anybody want to guess why their abortion okay, rates are low? It's because the Maybe chicks are ugly there. Yes, they and, just and they're not interested in God. Uh, no, I mean, clearly, it's because because there is a strict Puritan taboo on sex in countries like Finland and Germany. No, and, yes, and yes, their their high religiosity has successfully curtailed their drive Absolutely. to procreate. No, friends, in many cases, they're actually having sex in some cases earlier than than our teens are. <gasps> but what? the big difference is that they're using contraception. What? Yes. Okay, and that they have comprehensive sex education for their teens, and we don't. I was going to say, how how do these teenagers know how to use contraceptives? Because uh, their schools don't actually tell them how to use it, would they? I mean, yes, there's very because explicit abstinence instruction. is the only real effective measure. Actually, uh, I beg to differ with you, sir. The Prove comprehensive it. sex ed programs there are much more down to earth and explicit in these countries, where they teach teens to, for example, things like how to use a condom. I know that's Pretty complicated, but uh, <laughs> the um, how to how to use a condom and what the effectiveness rates are. We've had abstinence-only programs funded here that really give misinformation. Uh, I think somewhere around ninety percent of the abstinence-only programs contain uh, factual errors and things like what the failure rate of condoms right, are and things right. like that. Oh, I'm sure. And so that's linked directly with the ability to prevent teen pregnancies and therefore not have abortions. So surely, even if somebody's conservative, and we can talk about whether abortion is wrong or not, but if your goal is to we'd think, have common ground have on reducing the number of unplanned pregnancies and abortions, it's linked to effective sex ed. Well, right. except that... That's all they want to focus their attention here mm-hmm. is on the fact that some of these programs will promote abortion, quote, as a form of birth control. But what they're not pointing to is that these are family planning clinics, that they're going to be discussing contraceptives, right. that they're going to be making it available, that they're going to be giving every other means to avoid getting pregnant in the first place. Right. You don't go to Planned Parenthood and they say, yes, and how many abortions would you like today? Right. Well, according to some of this religious right rhetoric, uh, places like Planned Parenthood are giving out dud birth control pills so that they can, so that it will what result in more abortions. In, no one wants more abortions. Well, that, I know, I know, but they they don't get that. Yeah. That's... Well, because they set up this mentality of pro-life, which makes us anti-life or pro-abortion. I'm not pro-abortion. I, I would prefer that people not have to have abortions. But the way to do that is not to tell them that sex doesn't exist. 
It's to tell them how to do it well, safely because they're going to do it. And the conservatives realize that abortion is not going to go away. Uh, right. You know, and, and so even if they and make if it, it more did, difficult, they wouldn't be able to use that as a cudgel every like four yeah. years for an election issue. They they stir up their fundraising right now mm-hmm. goes through the roof for the same reason that the uh, the secular fundraising went through the roof during the Bush years is they could send out flyers saying, oh, abortion is bad. Obama's going to do this. Send money to our He's group. started his it, war on human already, life. As they already it, have it gets their, their pledges yep. go up and their, their, their funding goes up for people scared of all the babies that are going to get slaughtered. Roe versus Wade was the best thing that ever happened to the religious right. No, and so now we've been stuck with, uh, for years now, programs about like abstinence-only sex ed and like, you know, pledging virginity and things. It's not just that they're merely ineffective, which has been documented again and again, mm-hmm. but they're actually counterproductive because there, there's studies showing that people who pledge or have abstinence-only don't know how to use contraception. They're less likely to use it when they inevitably do have sex. So you hear these mm-hmm. figures like, I think 88%, one study found, of students in an abstinence program ended up having sex anyway. Is there people were, who had pledges? Uh, the, well, the recent study, I was just talking with you about this before the, uh, yeah. the taping here. This is a study that just came out this year in Pediatrics, is the journal by Rosenbaum, is the author. And they found that of people who took a virginity pledge, 82% of them denied later on ever having pledged. Mm-hmm. Four-fifths mm-hmm. of the students who had, who had gone on record with pledging said, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember pledging. They just denied having it because they weren't able to hold to that. And See, so now, it was when, useless. When I was in high school and I went to a, a Christian high school, I did not take a virginity pledge. I think it was just assumed um, that that was going to happen despite the, the two girls who graduated pregnant in my class alone. Um, but uh, I actually took a pledge to myself to try to get me some. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Our pledge was never to have turned down an opportunity but, ever if, but, if um, to get late. But unfortunately, <laughs> and I, that wasn't very effective I either, was it? I had a de facto virginity <laughs> pledge because I was unattractive and uh, fairly obnoxious. That, by the way, if you um, are Maybe that's are the unappealing, strategy. Maybe they are trying to uh, to – Nerd these kids up. Yep, push by, comic books on them. Yeah. It, it works like nothing else, man. If, if you want to keep your kids from having premarital sex. Yeah, don't, don't force them to play. It's just make them intellectuals. If you have <laughs> ever announced to a class in high school that you really have to get home tonight because the new Justice League is coming out. I'd like to go on a date with you, Wendy, but uh, you Justice set. League comes on, so... You're, I mean, that's, that is the approach uh, they need to be taking. Uh, um, I'm having my braces honest, tightened. It's... It's fair. It's it's reality. So studies of like what the factors that predict uh, sexual activity or not include that the one thing that predicts lower activity is intellectual orientation. If somebody has like you know academic skill, those guys are less likely to get laid. So, well, I, those of you interested in getting laid, put down the books. Put down stop the books. listening to the podcast. Walk away. Let's let's re- <laughs> let's restore back to okay. what we're actually talking about. So yes. we we have a podcast here this week. That's right. Um, and I think all this goes to sh- to show the point that as far as um, an assault on human life, not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you factor in some of these uh, earlier Bush policies, which were not even granting funding for organizations, even in sub-Saharan Africa where there's an epidemic of AIDS and mm-hmm. other countries, they wouldn't grant funding to programs that even taught sex education – and no, not just abstinence right. It was only. worse. They had countries that had successful programs. So like yes. uh, uh, Uganda had a very successful at some of the lowest rates of HIV transmission because they had – they emphasized, again, instructions. They would go out into the rural villages and say, here's how to use a condom. Mm-hmm. Here's condom availability. And the Bush administration dismantled some right. of the successful programs because of the conservatives here saying, we don't want to give our money for condom distribution. Right. Let's emphasize abstinence and be faithful. So calculate the death that has come from that. <clears throat> It, it was it's catastrophic. Right. So honestly, I have no sympathy for these religious right attacks on Obama. As far as I see it, he's actually doing the moral thing. And here's my thing: even if you don't like uh, Obama, the the thing that 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 the the focus on concrete outcomes. I'd be willing, you know. Yes, we're crazy liberal freaks, mm-hmm. and if you're a conservative and you disagree, that's fine. Let's have a debate though on the evidence, and I will concede the right. point if you can find evidence of. In this case, reducing abortions or reducing unwanted pregnancy. I'm not supporting that sort of thing because I'm a liberal. It's just the statistics and the studies are on his side. Yeah, right. And I want whatever president, I don't care what party they're from, if they just agree to go with the evidence and the empirical evidence, I'd be happy even if it was somebody who was a conservative. Well, instead of following the evidence where it would lead and look for practical 
solutions, a lot of times the religious rights strategy is is just hysteria. If anybody wants a great example of this, go to Focus on the Family's website and look at the mm-hmm. letter from 2012 in Obama's America where somebody has written a fictional letter sent from the future. Mm. But uh, it's 16 pages, so I'm not going to read any of it here. But we'll have a link to it for real this time on the website. <laughs> and you, you can get a preview of the right-wing hysteria that is to come in these next several years. Mm-hmm. Gays will be running the country and redecorating the Ser- White House. Seriously, they're terrified. At one point in the letter, it talks about the Boy Scouts are going to voluntarily take apart their organization because Obama is going to force them to hire gay men that will sleep in the tents with the boys during the oh, campouts. I'm, yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah. It's, it's that level of... I just want to say as a, as a plug, yeah. if, if you've ever seen the the Penn and Teller BS series where they have the gay scouts versus the straight scouts. They have like a little I, competition I don't watch that between episode. them. That was true. Like, you know, who knows better to organize a campsite and fold stuff than gays? <laughs> Tidy right. up the, after yourself. The, boy, the, the gay boy scouts were actually, they, they actually <laughs> did better than all the straight yeah. guys on all those tasks. That was great. Yeah, that was great. And, of course, uh, if you read this letter from 2012, of course, Barack Obama has steadily made our nation more and more of a socialist country. That seems to oh, also yeah. be very much a concern on many Christians' Cursed minds. socialism. Though I've always had a hard time understanding why Christians are so against the idea of socialism. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the type of communism that we saw take over uh, – a lot of the the Asian world and and other Former parts, Soviet Union, yeah, because of its godless character. But mm-hmm. why would the ideas of socialism per se be so offensive to the Christian mind? I've, I've never I quite think understood because that. it goes so far against all of the teachings in the Bible, which we'll look at in this edition of Skeptic Sunday School. Just historically, I don't think these, some of these people even took like American history to understand what socialism is. Before even we get into the whole Christians things like that, do they even understand like you know the Socialist Party during the 30s and the mm-hmm. Eugene Debs? Do they even have a basic understanding of what that means and what distinguishes socialism from communism from whatever else? I'm guessing uh, they don't. Uh, you know, there's degrees of socialism, just like there's degrees of capitalism. Sure. You know, I guess what they're referring to, they would say Barack Obama wants to redistribute wealth by higher taxes. So that's, I guess they're referring to like what Northern Europe has with kind of Denmark and right. Sweden. Mm-hmm. Sort. But these aren't <laughs> command and control economies <clears throat> yeah, where the government takes over your all property manufacturing. Right. And, yeah, yeah all, it is, all it is is just a question of degree of what's the tax rate on wealthy people. Uh, you know, the state, uh, the, the state might have more of an involvement in some of the industry rather than having – you know, rampant uh, capitalism with no regulations. There's there's higher right. There's more regulations on things like worker safety and and environmental regulations. Right, and sometimes it does get a little out of control, like in France, where it's virtually impossible to fire someone, which is why they're having all these problems because there are no jobs available Sacre because bleu. no one can lose. I have a job for job. life. Yeah, and they get. And, but there are there are great aspects of it, like maternity and paternity leave. They're much better about. Um, Job security certainly does help with job satisfaction and uh, morale in the workplace and that sort of thing. Um, but it can't go too far. And if you threaten to increase their work week from 35 hours to 38, the French fishermen and the farmers will, like, burn tires in intersections Absolutely. and bring the country to a standstill. I, I, I just think I would rather live in France, so... Yeah. Um, I'm willing to move. No, they wouldn't let us in, though. I don't speak the language. I hear they don't like us very much. My experience in France, they actually, the only rude people I ran into in France were other Americans. So uh, I, I like the French. I'll, I'll throw that out there. Well, no, here's my thing, though, with the socialism and the Christianity thing. This is a counter-apologetic show. Now, if there's many uh, non-religious uh, types that are Anne Randians who mm-hmm. are, are capitalists, I want to make clear I'm not opposing capitalism here on empirical grounds or whatever, we can argue about whether higher taxes is good or bad for the economy. All that I'm arguing about here, though, is Christians, specifically conservative Christians, who have an issue with Obama or other people who want to raise taxes on wealthy people and call it socialist and make it somehow as if it's not compatible with with With, with Christianity. That's what I'm talking about. That it's anti-American, that it's anti-Christian. You can be as rapaciously capitalist as you want, and we can argue about concrete effects. But to say somehow that socialism is not compatible with Christianity, that's what I'm talking about. But the Bible clearly advocates capitalism, doesn't it? Well, let's get into that, Jeremy. Yes. You're our Sunday school scholar. 
What does the Bible say about well, the vast majority, economic structures? The vast majority of the Bible doesn't deal with any sort of economic structures that we have today because for most of the nation of Israel's history, it was a monarchy. And they Before had like that, goat uh, you know, uh, yeah. sales and things so like that. So that would be that, the most Christian nation we could have, right? A monarchy? We have we get King Solomon back up there? Or not necessarily no. because uh, because God was reluctant to allow the Israelites to become a monarchy. He hmm. spoke very eloquently against it. He spoke saying, look, they're going to... Uh, they're going to put you into the service of the government. They're going to uh, force you into wars. They will tax you and use it to build their palaces to the wealthy elites and that sort of thing. So, so many uh, of the Christian Reconstructionists who oppose, who, who think that the United States should be governed biblically, it's not just that they're anti-socialism. They're actually anti-democracy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, think that, I think that is the case. Um, the... Ideal system, supposedly, in the Bible was these loose-knit tribal confederacies that you saw in the Old Testament, which simply didn't work because right. any time they were threatened by outside opponents, it was chaos. They, they were continually attacked, and that's why they eventually moved for the strength of a monarchy. But there's still not a whole lot of commentary on, on what is the proper economic setup uh, that, that God would desire. The, the most we hear Jesus commenting on taxes and the economy per se is where he says, render on to Caesar what is Caesar's. And some people will even grudgingly admit that. Like I, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this topic was I was responding to a woman in the paper who read a letter saying, I'm quoting from her, Jesus requires Christians to support those who are in need, but not via the redistribution of wealth by the government. And she goes uh, off on Obama and the socialists about being redistributionists. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, we should look at how did the Christian community then behave in their in their own contexts, and the passages that actually illuminate that matter are found in the Book of Acts. And many people then base a lot of their behavior on the early church. They say, for example, right. their roles of women or whatever, their views of what we should do are based specifically on what the uh, apostles did because Jesus did. didn't specifically address a lot of a lot of the issues of the of forming the church and, and the church community and all that we have to look at the, the Pauline yes, the acts of the apostles yeah. and everything else so so yes if this is their blueprint if this is their reference to what the ideal Christian community should be set up like well let's look what it has to say we can start in Acts chapter 2 verse 43. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Verse 44, all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple and they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. What doesn't it go on to say from each according to his uh, ability to each according to his need? No, no, that no. wasn't. No, that was Marx, but it sure sounded there. I was going to say, according to their need. This sounds like a commune here. This yeah. does not sound, This it's communal living. Well, no. and it goes further further into this. Um, Remember, though, how the, in the debates that uh, how much P Palin mocked the spreading around phrase that Barack Obama had said at one point that we were going to, he's going to decrease taxes for 95% of people, but if you earn more than $250,000, he's going to raise taxes and spread that wealth around. And Man, they were on that, that like, too. they were on that like mud on a pig about, oh my God, redistribution. Or lipstick wealth. on a pig. <laughs> like lipstick on a pig. Yes. Oh, the 2008 election. Mm. I'm so sad it's over. I, yeah. That's not Best true. two years of my life. <laughs> How else did the apostles deal with their finances, Jeremy? Yeah. Well, let me tell you. All right. In Acts 4.32, we get another picture at how this may have worked in the evolving Christian community. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership over any possessions, hmm. but everything they owned was held in common. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Oh, that's very Marxian. Yes, held up as the role model was Barnabas, who in verse 37 sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
Now, that all sounds very uh, harmonious because of the voluntary nature of things. What would have happened theoretically if somebody would have, say, withheld some money for private property from the apostles? Right. That uh, would be okay, right? Because this is voluntary process. That, that is a good question. Uh, if you proceed into Chapter 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Mm. I'll just read it for you. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he he kept some for himself. Yeah, kept some for he himself. He felt he should be in a different tax bracket, in other words. That's right. Right, right. Yep. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Now, that's, that's just an interesting little biblical thing there that mm. I'd like to point out. Um, who's the Holy Spirit here? Is it the apostles? Is it the congregation as a whole? Um, I, I've always found that one interesting. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. we'll keep mm. on going. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? So they are trying to get at the fact that maybe this is a voluntary setup. Peter's kind of like the IRS back then. Uh, mm-hmm. How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. And now when Ananias, in verse 5, heard these words, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who had heard of it. The young men came and wrapped up his body and then carried him out and buried him. Not too long after that, his wife, who doesn't know that any of this happened, strolled in. Mm -hmm. And Peter gives her the chance to lie in front of the congregation, too. And she does. And God strikes her down dead as well. Wouldn't an audit have been sufficient? I, uh, yeah, this does seem a little <laughs> a little far. Perhaps some, some tax on the proceeds. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 10, it says, Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. And when the young men came in, they found her dead. So they carried her, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And verse 11, And great fear seized the whole church. And all who heard of these things. Now, the, the typical— Yes, it did. Yes. Wow. The typical apologist response is, well, the sin was that they lied. Lied about it. The sin uh, was that they yeah, didn't— Of course. They, it wasn't that they didn't take all that they owned It's that uh, they lied it. to God. It's that they lied about Which it. Which is tricky because he kind of knows everything, right? But why was this story repeated? That's—I mm-hmm. mean, I guess as far as the text goes, if you want to read it very closely— then yes, indeed, that is that is the sin. That's what they're being punished from. But come on here. When it starts off with this utopian thing of everybody... Everybody sharing everything. Right. They, they redistribute the wealth. Right. And then these stories, Luke only picked this up and recorded it in the book of Acts because it must have been a story that's in circulation. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that story's intent was not to convince people people that they should also donate as well, Right. that that there wasn't some sort of intimidation well, that was also, implied. In a that. lot of the groups that are considered cults uh, that are modeled on Christian socialist principles, and I'm thinking of like the uh, Jim Jones's church, right. did this sort of thing where they were uh, criticized for taking their members' finances and basically you know, tapping the, the bank accounts, giving them to sign over everything to the group. And then redistributing that. And they often use the fear of, you know, biblical passages like this to say that if anybody has personal property, it's not Christian. Uh, And they use biblical arguments for saying that if you withhold property from the group, you know, you're not a member of our group. So I guess the the religious right is correct in saying that Obama's uh, worldview, his economic plan is not a Christian plan. He doesn't go nearly far enough. Yeah. I mean, Marx was was pretty on target, right? Well, I guess it could be objected at this point. Well, this is the internal workings of the church. This isn't necessarily the government. Sure. So maybe it's the church's responsibility to take everybody's <coughs> and when, money. And when you hear is that argument, distribute that. it to the poor. Yeah. You hear them making that argument that it's okay for churches to, you know, like tithing, to, to for the churches to redistribute that money. What they don't want, conservatives don't want, is the government redistributing that money. Right. And why? Because the church gives money to the proper people who deserve the money or have right. programs that mm-hmm. they approve of, whereas mm-hmm. the government gives it to... Single right. moms and money. welfare queens yeah. and, and people getting right. abortions. They, you know, And research shows that the people are willing to be charitable 
to the degree that they often perceive people as being similar to them, particularly right. conservatives, right. and that they don't like it when the, the charity goes to people that they don't perceive as being similar to their values. Mm -hmm. Right. If the church is the one that's giving out money to the poor, then they can proselytize. They can choose who is worthy to receive it or not. It's fine. If somebody wants to just make that argument purely on, on practical grounds, it's my money. I can give it to who I want. Fine. Sure. But if you're going to use some sort of religious argument and say that this is somehow, again, modeled on that, you know, I don't see any passages from Jesus saying, oh, you know what? This is not a worthy person for the, right. for the your coat when you sell it. Right. Well, right. it puts them in a sticky place when they try to say, well, we should model our government off of Christian principles. But then they want to preserve the separation of church and state when it comes to to these financial it's, concerns. It's, again, it's what we always as harp on in this show. It's selective, wallet, it's selective literalism. Right. They, they're, they're willing to take the passages out that support this, and I don't know how, but this is one of the most egregious ones. I don't know how they yeah. have a religious Christian support for capitalism or uh, as, in the, as opposed to socialism. In fact, it was, it was scandalous. In Roman times, part of how the hysteria and the persecution of the Christian church emerged originally was that you had sometimes wealthy, prominent Roman people converting to Christianity, giving all their money and their possessions away to this cult. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, think of today Scientology or, or some other cult, and, you know, Uncle Joe ends up falling hook, line, and sinker for this cult, and yep. now he's just taken your entire family's and fortune, all of your inheritance, and he's given it to this to this group yeah, that's promising him some sort of mystical salvation in early the, Christianity was in the a age cult. to come. There's just really no distinction between what we now call as cults and early Christianity. Well, right. cult, cults and religions, the only difference is, is real estate. <laughs> you know? I mean, if you have the numbers, you become a world religion. Otherwise, you're a cult. But it's funny to think about today these, these uh, proponents of, in quotes, family values that back, back in the early Christianity— they were feared as being anti-family. They're telling people, right. look, you know, Jesus himself says, uh, let the dead bury their own dead. Um, anybody who loves their husband, wife, family more than me uh, is not fit to be my follower. And, you know, people are leaving their families, separating themselves from, from their families, taking all their money and putting it into this group, which was isolated at the time and secretive about what they were and doing. And Jesus wasn't particularly nice to his own family either. No. No. Socialism, even historically, if you look at Christianity in the early part of the 20th century, like the 19-teens and 20s, there was a strong socialist Christian view. Uh, yes. That, for example, we argue— Liberation theology. We talk, for example, about the Pledge of Allegiance uh, debate about whether under God was, you know, in, you know, it was inserted in the 50s. You mm -hmm. know who established the Pledge of Allegiance? The man was a socialist. This was in the late 1800s, and I'm blanking on his He was a socialist name, minister. Yeah, he was a minister, and he wanted, after the whole it was Civil after War the Civil period, War. Yep. That, something to unite the people, and he thought that they should all say a pledge to the nation as a whole— he was a socialist. He actually had a. He wanted a salute to go with it, where you stick your hand out with a palm down. With yeah, I, are, I think are that's. You, are you serious? About no, that? I believe that's in that's Susan Jacoby's uh, book. Yeah, um, they, they didn't have the whole salute thing, but the, under God was added later on, as as also Jacoby points out. But the point is that, that yeah. there's one example too, where there's ministers and things like that that had liberation socialist theology that they thought blended, and they made a, what I think is a better argument of Christianity blended with redistribution of money to the poor, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And that, and that capitalist was viewed as being kind of the heartless social Darwinist types. Right, right. Well, and this really does go back to what the gospel writer Luke said was Jesus' original plan. Luke 12, verse 14, And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And if you move down to verse verse 33, Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses mm. for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near or no moth destroys. So Jesus' example, his advice to everybody is sell your possessions to give to the poor. Wouldn't it be great if Rick Warren uh, or Pastor Hagee uh, were to sell his millions of dollars LaFond Ranch with its own private airstrip and all that, and actually follow that advice. Well, that's that's socialism. So if you're if you are going to argue against socialism, fine. There's probably some very good arguments against it, yeah. but it's very very hard to do that on biblical grounds. Mm -hmm. 
we're going to end this week with our shit list. On the shit list this week is the Dutch Parliament. The Dutch Parliament? Why do we have a problem with the Dutch Parliament? Usually they're like legalizing prostitution, marijuana, needles. Yeah, I got a lot of respect for the Dutch Parliament. <laughs> they sound like a, a swinging bunch of cats. What? Uh... Well, unfortunately, Freedom Party leader Geert Wilders is being prosecuted because he have, he has said some negative things about Islam. This article from BBC News, Islam film Dutch MP to be charged. A mm-hmm. Dutch court has ordered prosecutors to put a right-wing politician on trial for making anti-Islamic statements. Geert Wilders made a controversial film last year named Fitna, a Quranic term that sometimes translates as strife, uh, I've heard of this. Yes, and this in this film, he equated Islam with violence and has likened the Quran to Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf. Hmm. The court in Amsterdam said that in a democratic system, hate speech is considered so serious that it is in the general interest to draw a clear line. But, of course, Wilders maintains that this is an attack on freedom of expression. Oh, I've seen this dude. He's the big blonde. He's a guy who's big, and he's got mm-hmm. really, really blonde hair. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that Dutch guy. Now the, I don't the, have... the big Dutch guy with blonde hair. They're all big uh, yeah, and, yeah. and blonde. Okay, yeah. yeah so <laughs> tell tell us something that sets him apart from the rest. <laughs> he wears wooden shoes as well. That's right. uh, I, I got. What kind of are Dutch people? Be like they're Dutch people. I got that. Yeah. That reminds me of when I got separated from a friend at a fish concert, and I was like, "Have you seen my buddy? He's like wearing a." Tie-dye t-shirt, <laughs> has long hair. He's scruffy. Oh, man. He's high. Man. He's, I don't think he's bathed for a few weeks. Uh, <laughs> anybody match that description here? Yeah, the I don't have too much compassion for this Geert Wilders uh, in, in particular. It's not that I disagree with him. that uh, Linking Islam to violence? Yeah, that Islam can be linked to violence. I, I think that's certainly They'd true. They'd have an argument if um, Muslims <laughs> quit linking Islam with violence. Yeah, but, yeah. you know. Um, it's not all Muslims, okay. No. But part of one of his one of the policies that he wanted to push forward was he wanted to actually ban the Quran. Um, yeah. So I, I, I yeah. not for Europe has a, Europe has a whole different history with free speech and banning stuff than we they do really because do. of their you know the, like the whole World War II thing you can't say Nazi things or if you, there's certain Nazi I mean the free speech you stuff can't would deny never the fly Holocaust. Yeah, you, yeah, the free speech right. stuff would never fly here because we really haven't had any of that. You know, uh, we don't have a danger of a bunch of skinheads like breaking out and uh, well, too often. But yes. uh, but there they it's much more recent history, and so this is probably tied to this whole sensitivity thing of they want to be, mm-hmm. you know, more tolerant of uh, of things and and force uh, tolerance though is always uh, a little empty. I well, find. and it, and it leads you to these contradictions. Mm-hmm. Like uh, um, the article says, Mr. Wilders described the Quran as a fascist book and called for it to be banned the same way we ban Mein Kampf. Well, see where that rationale gets him in trouble is then where can he, now that he's being censored, now that he's being silenced, he wants to say this is an attack on free expression. Yeah. Uh, If we say it's okay to censor things that we find offensive and to not allow those those people the right to speak, well then... How can you say we right. need to censor this book, but don't censor my film saying we need to censor this book? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so I don't have too much compassion for him, but at the same time, it is the Dutch parliament that is on our shit list. Right. Because now in, now in the Netherlands, essentially to criticize Islam for promoting violence, that is now a crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it, a prosecutable offense. How can you have a real conversation about social issues mm-hmm. when you fear persecution? Right. Right. What did they find so offensive about this movie Fitna? The article says the opening scenes of Fitna show a copy of the holy book followed by footage of bomb attacks on the United States on the 11th of September, London in July of 2005 and Madrid in 2004. Sure. It also showed pictures appearing to show <laughs> In other words, pictures showing yeah. <laughs> Muslim demonstrators holding up placards saying, God bless Hitler and freedom go to hell. Wow. Um, 
So uh, for a Muslim to hold up a sign that says God bless Hitler, that's Well, because he killed confusing. a lot of Jews. Well, yeah, okay. And I'm those are all from a real demonstration that right. happened in London. Um, I think we've talked about it before mm-hmm. on the show. The, the pictures are all over the place. Right. And uh, and this does represent the view of many Muslims. And they, they do support their view in part by passages read from the Quran. But um, they've taken political correctness and they've made it uh, a law. And so you can't acknowledge these types of things without, without being prosecuted. Mm-hmm. It's like their country, faced with a difficult problem, has just plugged their ears collectively and gone, no, 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 we don't want to hear about this. Right. Yeah. Another development that goes along with this that is very disturbing, and, and I'm unfortunately I don't have any uh, articles here to back me up on it, but I, I believe I read recently about um, the EU's extradition laws that um, I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody, some Holocaust deni- denier, Mel Gibson's um, dad <laughs> was extradited to Germany for making statements denying the Holocaust that he wasn't even in Germany when right. he made these statements he they was brought in him some to other Germany part of where the it's EU. illegal to do that yeah, right oh, well so now i'm thinking like what if turkey you know starts trending in, in the opposite direction it's not as secular anymore right. are, are they going to be able to prosecute people under sharia law I, hey <laughs> anywhere anybody anywhere in the eu even if they haven't stepped foot into turkey they'll be able to extradite them to turkey and i take back that thing i said law. earlier about moving to france they, they could call <laughs> yeah. this thing it's getting uh, frightening. extraordinary yeah. rendition uh, and they could fly you to a country where it's okay to <laughs> yeah. work okay. you okay. over okay. granted i guess yeah. america uh <laughs> yep. we don't get completely free look we need to torture closer. these people uh we don't we can't do that okay. here sir well, well, what countries are let's get Map. Well, damn it, we're doing something about that. Let's fly them somewhere. Yeah, work them over with a pipe. Yeah, uh, so you, you Europeans who listen to the show, you got to step up and do something about this. Or my dream of fleeing to your <laughs> to your continent is is going to be we over. We had all booked flights to the Netherlands, people. All right, Canada now what are we going to do? Canada has the socialism too. They mostly speak our language, so I I say we go to Canada. Canada is even colder than Michigan. Yeah. That's true. And they don't have Obama. So they won't be saved in the uh, second coming. All right. All right. Well, that's all for this week. Join us next week for more fun and free thought. And uh, those of you who are members of our Facebook group, we have on the message board a thread for story ideas because we are doing the podcast weekly and we uh, welcome any suggestions you have about topics to cover. You can email those in as well to doubtcast.org. And uh, keep those coming. Keep in the comments. We got tons of response to our two-parter on Free Willy versus Determinator. And we'll be getting to those in a later episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission.